Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. From the Financial Times, this is Hard Currency. You'll remember Pink Floyd, but do you remember when the economist Jim O'Neill coined the phrase BRICS, the acronym that championed the global importance of Brazil, Russia, India and China? This is Roger Blitz and welcome to the FT's Hard Currency Podcast, when we take a look at the week's comings and goings in Forex, the world's biggest market. We're looking at the BRIC countries because they have been making their mark on the FX front this week in one way or another, demonstrating their continued importance to the global economy, however tarnished some of their reputations might be. Now, with me to discuss this is Ilan Solot, Emerging Market Strategist for the US private bank Brown Brothers Harriman. Ilan, before we look at each of these countries in turn, first of all, can you remember how long ago that BRIC acronym was christened? Actually, I can't, but I'm sure it happened after the song. Okay, it was 2001, 14 years ago, an awful long time ago, Ilan, which begs the question whether the BRIC acronym is relevant anymore. What's your thoughts on that? I think it surely was relevant back then, but since then, the differences between the countries have only increased. And at this point, I would probably say it's more anachronistic than useful. And in terms of what we remember back in 2001 about their importance, it was about the development of these economies. Jim O'Neill was clearly seeing a a decade ahead of, of tremendous growth. And to some extent, that's actually been borne out. But I suppose what we're now seeing is the end of that period and another period. Yeah, I think you know, I think part of the reason this acronym came about was that these are countries that had a lot of promise, not only for themselves, but as drivers for the global economy and even play bigger roles in a political sphere. And uh, to some degree, as you said, they held out for some time, but now I think that the tide is changing. Okay, so now let's look at how that tide has changed. Let's look at it one by one. We'll start off with Brazil. The news flow is pretty intense there. There's talk of the president Dilma Rousseff being impeached. The central bank is talking about pledging to control inflation. Everybody's attention is on Brazil. And it does look quite ominous. Yeah, very much so. I mean, the word crisis has been used a lot in this context in Brazil. And uh, while I do agree to some extent that Brazil is going through a crisis, I think the first thing to lay down here is to say that this is not a crisis like it was in the 80s or 90s. We're not going through a currency crisis in the classical sense in which Brazil will deplete its reserves and default on its debt. My view is that it's going to be a much more domestic-oriented crisis, uh, many years of slowdown, and domestic difficulties and political challenges. So I think that's more of the tone of what's happening in Brazil. But we have reached a point whereby the central bank is saying the real has gone far enough, thank you very much, we're now going to intervene. And central bank intervention, not just in Brazil, is becoming um, quite fashionable again. No, that's a very good point. And um, the main question, however, is how much can the central bank impact the currency? And our view here is that the central bank has the power to take off the edge to remove the panic in disorderly markets and smooth out the moves. But it cannot really change the fundamental picture. 
in my opinion, really, the fundamental story here is a fiscal side. This is where markets are focused now. And you need to see some improvement on a fiscal and political front before you get any signs of real change in the markets in Brazil now. And sorry to be a bit picky, but no. does, is it important which happens first? It feels like the politics of it is going to underlay everything and that actually this impeachment process could take a long time, couldn't it? Yeah, well, if it does happen, it will take a long time for sure. But it's very complicated, of course. I mean, the impeachment process is definitely a legal process, but it's also a very political process. So it's complicated in terms of the opposition, who they're going to support. And also you have to remember that a lot of the allied parties of the government, from the PT and the allied parties, PMDB, are also involved in many parts of the scandal. So it's definitely will be a protracted process if it does go through. Let's just talk about the contagion impact. It is what we're all focusing on. And I just want to come back to this BRIC acronym and also, if you like, spread it out to a bit more to, to emerging markets. To what extent do investors who bought into the whole BRIC idea 14 years ago and threw themselves into emerging markets are now in retreat across emerging markets because of the sight of Brazil going badly wrong? Yeah, I think this contagion story is a little bit new. What is not new is that Brazil is in decline. Right. This we've known for a few years. But the contagion side is new. And I think it happens a lot because of the importance of Brazil as a barometer in the currency and the equity markets, but also the Petrobras scandal. I think this was really important as a contagion force because the Petrobras has a huge amount of bonds. It's a very large, well-known public company in Brazil, well, public and private company in Brazil. So that side, I think there was a lot of contagion and it changed a lot of the perspective of investors. Okay. It was a wake-up call. And, and you think the market is still looking at the real going a lot further? I think it's very hard to find out there someone who's optimistic about the real. Some believe now they could stabilize for a bit, but an outright uh, change in trend, very unlikely. Okay, let's move on to Russia. Now, you may ask why we talk about Russia, but I'm interested in this idea about things turning in the EM space, because what we've had in Russia this week is the sight of Vladimir Putin effectively coming in from the cold, doing a deal with the West over Syria. Ukraine talks are resuming on Friday. I'm interested in whether you think this actually could tilt sentiment towards the ruble. Is that too much to ask? I think it may be a little bit too much to ask. Right. I think what this provides, all this context you gave, is that uh, we see bigger grounds for stabilization. And it's yeah. harder to imagine another leg down in a ruble as strong as we had in the past. But I think what really drives the ruble largely is oil prices and this tail risk of politics. As you said, the tail risk of politics have declined a lot. But oil prices look to be somewhat stable at this point and at low levels. So without a big change in that market, hard to imagine a big rally in a ruble. And again, you know, coming back to the whole how politics infects a lot of market thinking, particularly towards currencies, there's no doubt that Russia is a big political story, isn't it? I mean, very much like Brazil. So improvements on that political front can help. Definitely helps. I completely agree. But I think what investors in the currency side tend to trade more in the political side in Russia is the tail risks, yeah. the risk of something going terribly wrong. And those risks have declined. And the developments in Ukraine and in Syria right now are, as you said, positive developments in a sense, but they don't speak of these dramatic risks that can happen to ruble. So in that sense, I think the currency won't be impacted okay. so much. We're halfway through our brick tour. We're on to India now. Big moment this week. Central bank cut interest rates much further than expected by 50 basis points. But the rupee responded pretty well to that. Tell us what you think is going on there. This is a market that's really liking what's going on. Absolutely. I know it may seem counterintuitive to some people that you cut interest rates and the currency does well. And I think the reason behind this is that India is really not a carry story. Mm. And the story of flows in India has been traditionally much more related to equity markets. 
So a cut in interest rates is very positive for the equity markets, in, invites more flow, and you have a positive effect in the currency. And of course, it has a positive effect in the economy. But India is an emerging markets country. I mean, how is it that the market has ring-fenced India away from all the contagion that's affecting emerging markets? That's a great question. And you know, as you mentioned, India has been ring-fenced and you know, the currency has held up relatively well this year. And I would point to a few different factors. First of all, India is a relatively closed economy in terms mm-hmm. of trade, which means that it's less exposed to the global economic cycle. So in that sense, it was positive for India. Another factor is oil prices. What it does trade a lot is energy and mm-hmm. it imports a lot of energy. This has been dramatically positive. And the third factor I would say is that India does have a very powerful anchor in the central bank, Rajan, as well as a very progressive um, politician as a prime minister, Modi. So those two provide a very good political backdrop, even though the success of one, Modi, hasn't been that great. Okay, but we should always look at what the possible downside risks are. So where could that hurt investors in India? So I think the downside risks here really are of reducing even further the already depressed expectations about what the government can achieve in terms of reform. Everybody is optimistic about Modi and I think justified. But in terms of of what it can actually deliver, it's unclear. And we already change this expectations and the risk is implementation now in Congress becomes difficult and we get a stalling of reforms. India goes nowhere and eventually investors become disillusioned. And structural reform is all about China, isn't it? And China's clearly been the thing that everybody's focused on on a day-to-day basis. More data out about services and manufacturing, which kind of tell us the story that we're familiar with about the economic slowdown. But what do you make of how China is getting it together? I think what you said is exactly right. I mean, we have the story is somewhat familiar in China. We have everybody knows already China's slowing. The economy is not doing very well, but Mm. it's also not falling off a cliff. And what has happened, you had a, a pretty measured policy response on many different fronts. And the story in China is of following those different policy developments from the banking sector to the currency to interest rates. So I think now investors are adapting to this relatively fast pace of reform in China and trying to navigate those grounds. Bring it all together for us, all these BRIC countries. So we have not exactly um, a rosy picture across there. What's the score sheet looking like? I mean, the score sheet, if I were to take a snapshot right now for the BRICS, I would say after all this time, we came out relatively, I'd say cautiously optimistic in one India and somewhat pessimistic on other three. And what does it mean about how they interrelate? I mean, the grouping of them. I think I've referred to earlier about the contagion or infection issue that Brazil had on other countries. I mean, Ultimately, what we should say about these BRIC countries is they've got very, very big populations and that they are ultimately always going to be important economic bellwethers for the world. Absolutely. I think their importance are not going to go away, not just because of population, but also because they have a relatively large political footprint in the world. So even if their impact on the global economy may have been revised at one time or another, I think they'll definitely be impactful from hereafter. Do you think the real factor that brings them all together is the issue of structural reform. You talked about the importance of it in India. You saw it was happening in China. It's certainly struggling along in Brazil and Russia. And in fact, the currencies of all of those reflect the progress or otherwise of structural reform. Yeah, absolutely. But I think every country is a slightly different story. As you said, India is being a bit more progressive. China, I think, is managing a decline. Brazil and Russia are kind of trying to dig themselves out of a hole at this point. Okay. That's a great tour of the BRIC acronym, and probably it's one we should start to consign to history, but 
presumably something else will come along. Just finally, EM as an acronym covers so much. Should we consign that to the dustbin as well? It's definitely time to revise. I don't know if it's just yet time for a dustbin, but we should be always revising it. Okay. My thanks to Ilan Solot of Brown Brothers Harriman and to Pink Floyd and the producers of their album, The Wall, Columbia Records. Do email me on roger.blitz at ft.com for any thoughts you have on Forex and or indeed this podcast. And do please keep up to date with all the latest Forex news and analysis on our website, ft.com forward slash FX. Speak to you again next week. Bye-bye.